The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Looks like the Omicron variant and COVID-19 lockdowns and crazy mask mandates are starting to wane on everybody. Thank God everybody's finally coming to their senses two years too late or a year and a half. I'll give you a grace period. But yeah, so Oregon's Governor Kate Brown said, Oregonians have stepped up during the Omicron surge, wearing masks, getting vaccinated and boosted and keeping each other safe. Because of your actions, Oregon will lift mask mandates no later than March 31st. Thank you. Oh, thank you, your majesty, your worship, your dear leader for giving us, you know, because we did these things, we are going to be allowed to have our freedom back. And what's really funny is if you think about it, March 31st is when they're going to peel it back. So Omicron has until April Fool's Day to get out of town. I mean, that's how ridiculous this all is. Like, You know, we're going to have a curfew at midnight because Omicron's going to be out there and you can't go out to a bar at midnight. But it's ridiculous, man. And then California has stepped in and said California will end mask mandates on February 15th, lifting uh, negative test requirements to visit hospitals and nursing homes. So we're starting to see this whole thing fall out. And we're also starting to get some amazing stories. These stories are the ones about the efficacy and the side effects of the vaccines. So Joe Rogan's in the process of, you know, having his livelihood pulled from under his feet because he just happened to have on some doctors who wanted to talk about it and question it. And, at the same time as he's being labeled as the purveyor of misinformation, everything he's talking about is showing up in places like Yahoo News, Bloomberg, and The Telegraph. So before we get into that, I think we need to uh, show the retconning that's happening in real time um, because it's going on as we speak. They sat there every day for every minute of your life, whether it be on Good Morning America, whether it be on 24-hour cable news, whether it be on the evening nightly news, whether it be on sports events, whether it be on television award shows, they sat there committed to the mask all the time, every time. You were inundated with this to the point where they wanted us walking around with cloth uh, S&M ball gags, you know, I mean, these things stuffed in our mouth and in fact, they even went so far to say, you know, little Jenny over there and the Girl Scout troop are going to they're going to go ahead and put together a, a little uh, a little mask that they're going to weave and bedazzle for you. And that's going to stop this pandemic completely. Right. That's how ridiculous it was. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, uh, trucker convoys, uh, bad poll numbers for political uh, incumbents. Uh, Let's go ahead and act like this thing's done. And, and luckily, some of it's probably because of the declining numbers from Omicron. But listen to Dr. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Leanna Wynn. Now, remember, she was formerly the head of Planned Parenthood and uh, the uh, baby ch- uh, chop shop uh, where they sell parts off. Um, listen to her talking about 
how the mask is not really a big thing anymore. And we don't need to worry about it. Just certain circumstances. Do you agree with the move? I do. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. And we also know about one way masking, the idea that even if other people are around, you are not wearing masks. If you wear a high quality mask, that also protects you, the wearer, too. And so in this case, I'm not saying I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks, but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district of the school. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family who can still decide that that their child can wear a mask if needed. Um, You know, take New Jersey, the case in New Jersey, for instance, Their new case average is just over 4,000. Is that an acceptable number to do this or, or, or are they projecting out to March 7th at this point? I don't think we should be looking at case counts at all at this point, especially when we're dealing with a milder variant and when so many people were exposed to Omicron and therefore have have at least some level of protection, either through vaccination or immunity. The key number that we should be looking at is hospitalizations. If our ICUs and hospitals in that particular region are not overwhelmed, if they're not over capacity, we can set a number, for example, 75% or 80% full, then we should be able to relax all restrictions And I actually believe that we should be starting to with the first restriction removed should actually be the restriction on children, because while for adults, you could say, well, what's the harm of adults masking when they go into a grocery store? There actually is a harm that we should be discussing of children continuing to mask. That doesn't mean that masking doesn't have its place for children when there are very high rates of hospitalization. If we get a new variant in the future that children are particularly susceptible to, we may want to bring masks back, but we should also be in a intellectually honest and say that masking has had a cost, especially for the youngest learners, uh, people with English as a second language, children with learning disabilities, there has been a cost to them. So the risk benefit calculation has really changed. So the science has changed, huh? I wonder if the science changed when the earth was flat to being round. I wonder if the science changed on climate change. Hmm. There was global warming, and then there was the ice age, and then there was the greenhouse effect, and then there was the ozone hole, and then there was, yeah, yeah, it's always, it's always. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting is the whole optional mask thing. Give the responsibility to the parents. Imagine that. Isn't that what Glenn Youngkin just did that everybody's trying to dunk on him about? To which they actually passed. Um... Yeah, it's unbelievable. This sounds like us last year. Actually, if you've listened to this podcast, it sounds like me back in March 2020. But anyway, at any rate, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give a little bit of grace because of the unknowns and, and the fact that the data wasn't available to us as it should have been. Or maybe the uh, data was available. We just didn't really look into it. Now we've got data all over the damn place and we should be able to look at it and say, yeah, the mask really wasn't working. And it's crazy because it's starting to show up all over the globe. 
right here. You've got Saskatchewan's premier, Scott Moe. Listen to him talking about the mask mandates. Let's not judge our neighbor because they may be vaccinated or because they may not be vaccinated. Let's not judge our neighbor if they should choose to wear a mask or not to choose to wear a mask in the weeks ahead. Whenever someone is doing their own personal risk assessment, which we have asked them to do in this province for a period of time now, uh, they're doing that assessment for themselves, possibly for their family, and they may come back with a a different decision than what you might uh, arrive at. And that different conclusion, albeit maybe different from where you have landed, should not be judged. It should be respected and it should be accepted. It's time for each of us as individuals now to make a conscious effort to treat everyone in our daily lives that we encounter equally. It's also time for the proof of vaccination mandate to end. So effective at midnight this Sunday, February the 13th, all provincial proof of vaccination requirements will end. In Saskatchewan businesses, in venues and provincially regulated workplaces, this means that the proof of vaccination or the negative test option that we provided will no longer be a provincial requirement. Starting on Valentine's Day, February the 14th, um, this will be the case. This will leave one remaining COVID measure in place, and that is indoor masking. That measure remains in effect until the end of February. I mean, they were just about to ask for vaccine passports, which is why the truckers were even up there clogging the roadways and playing hockey and grilling out and dancing in raves and, you know, all that violent KKK, white supremacy stuff that you were told was happening. Um, yeah, all of a sudden that has had a big impact on on Alberta as well, because from what I'm hearing, Alberta ends its vaccine passport system, <laughs> loosens restrictions. Amazing how that happens. I mean, but listen to the ones that are trying to keep the ruse up. Even after you just had Planned Parenthood baby chop shop lady, Dr. Wynn, and you had a premier of a province in Canada, now you've got the teachers union. Randy Weigarter, yep, yes, she's going to keep this going because the teachers unions are the last stronghold in maintaining the fear porn and the S&M diaper, uh, Chinese diaper ball gag. Uh, listen to her talk about it. So at what point do we just say, okay, it's time to get rid of the masks? Isn't well, there that, enough science available already? Well, that's why I'm saying that we're, if we, you know, we believe in an off-ramp. I asked for, I asked Dr. Cardona and Dr. Walensky to start planning for an off-ramp in November pre-Omicron. But then you had the Omicron surge, and the masks were back on, and then the K95 masks were back on. So the real question becomes, how do we make sure that people can plan for it, and, and what are the measures so that everybody knows, so it doesn't feel like it's based upon politics. It feels like it's based upon um, making sure that there's no transmission in school, and it feels like the four or five different factors, which is what New Jersey used, are... Um, vaccination rates, that's what Massachusetts uses. Low community spread, thank God. Omicron is like down to 3% or so in, in New York and New Jersey. Um, low hospitalizations. And it, and, and so I'm just asking the CDC to actually weigh in here so that we have that kind of guidance around the country. They're not going to let it die. They're going to keep this rolling or at least try to, because they know 
Who are the most impressionable, you know, who are the most impressionable people? Who are the ones you can scare the most? Kids, children. But a lot of children aren't buying it. I can tell you right now, my kid, when he found out that they went to a opt-out uh, mask optional situation, he looked at me and said, Dad, can you go ahead and just opt me out? <laughs> right, because he's not falling for the ruse. Now, it doesn't help that he's getting some alternative views, not from my, my wife, unfortunately, but from me. And that is leading to his awakening. But a lot of people in his school are not going to wear the mask, even though some of them are vaccinated. And that's going to be an issue for them later in life. We'll get into that in a little bit. But currently, um, yeah, the teachers union is going to try to keep it up. And then you've got totalitarian douche nozzles like Justin Trudeau, uh, who's basically saying the equivalent of lockdowns. When he's talking about lockdowns, he's basically saying well, you know, we lock you down so that you can have freedom because freedom means being chained in your house and being told you can't go outside to walk your dog. Um, it's, as, it's as asinine as George Bush after the collapse in 2008 saying, well, we're, we're going we're gonna to suspend free market capitalism to save the free market. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. And so listen to Justin Trudeau. He's... Just a, such a moron. I think one of the things uh, we all understand is just how frustrated everyone is. Um, we're all frustrated. We're all sick and tired of restrictions, of, of mandates, of having to, to make sacrifices, of not being able to do the things we love. Uh, it's been two years, and it's, and it's really, really tiring for all of us. This government has been focused every step of the way on following the best science, following the best public health advice to keep as many people safe as possible. And quite frankly, it's worked. We've seen uh, the curves uh, lower in Canada than elsewhere. We've seen lower death rates. We've seen quicker economic recovery because, because Canadians stepped up, because Canadians got vaccinated. And I can understand frustrations with mandates, but mandates are the way to avoid further restrictions or having to be restricted. As people get vaccinated, as Canadians have gotten vaccinated, we've been able to get through things. And this team is going to stay focused on doing exactly that. It's, it's really unbelievable that that guy is still elected. Now, there, there's some issues with the election in Canada. Apparently, they found 200,000 ballots that were never counted um, could have been a game changer. And maybe they installed a leader like we did here in the United States with Biden. <laughs> maybe everyone that was saying build back better across the globe were all installed. Makes you wonder about that. But, you know, now that the now that the covid numbers are declining faster than Biden's mental capacity to prompt him to say the phrase bad at care, we're seeing them retconning everything. I mean, they're just eliminating mask mandates all over the place. And now <laughs> they're doing it with the numbers, the case numbers. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> this lady, Erin um, Banco, she is the global health correspondent for Politico. And she says, scoop, the CDC and HHS are working to recalculate COVID hospitalizations in the United States. Here's why. So why, Aaron? Well, she says the administration is asking hospitals to report numbers of patients who go to the facility because they have COVID-19 and separate those numbers 
from the individuals who go in for other reasons and test positive after being admitted. Hmm, 2021, actually 2020 called, and they would like their actual results back. Remember, the flu season disappeared. Um, we went through and people, if you had swimmer's ear or if you stubbed your toe or you got in a car accident and died, maybe you fell off a ladder in Poland, we counted it as a coronavirus uh, death. And then over the, uh, the end of 2020 into the early part of 2021, we had these PCR tests where the sampling rate was up so high, dead cells were being uh, recognized and, and testing positive for COVID. I mean, it's so ridiculous. And so now that the midterms are coming, we're going to shut everything off, act like nothing happened, suddenly mask or just, eh, you can opt them, you can wear them if you like, but they're not mandatory. And then we're going to actually cal calculate the correct numbers. So basically, we're just going to purposefully, uh, you know, go back to recording the way it used to be. You know, inflating the numbers was what we did in the beginning to maintain the narrative of lockdown. And now that they have power, they can just swing it back the other way. And, you know, they can take some of the credit in the process. Look what we did. You wore your mask. You stayed in your house like a hermit. And you uh, stayed, you know, six feet away from everybody else. Yeah, you actually made it happen. Congrats. Kudos to you. Even though we destroyed your businesses, we destroyed your family, people you knew had to die by themselves. All of that stuff was done in the name of the greater good. That's communism at work. So midterms are coming up. The poll numbers look like Hunter Biden waking up from a morning after, you know, after a Parmesan cheese snorting bender, a crack bender with Chinese prostitutes who he may or may not impregnate. I mean, it won't, no matter. He's not going to stick around to see him born. And he definitely wasn't using one of those newfangled government issued crack pipes either. Now, on the other side of this break, we're going to get into the boosters and, and we're going to get into big tech and all of the things that were surrounding the coronavirus and just exacerbating it, making it worse. Big tech censorship, big tech tent lies, uh, gaslighting, boosters that don't work and that might be uh, eroding your immune system. We're going to get into all that on the other side of the break. This is Adrian Slade. Well, it looks as though Governor... Kathy Hochul of New York is expected to drop New York's indoor mask mandate. But here's the funny side of it, because she's now announcing also that she's extending the school masking mandate. So just so you know that this is all a ruse, that's how you do it. You tell everybody else they're fine and do like we talked about in the last segment. Keep the kids in constant state of fear and paranoia. But they still want to sell us these boosters. Listen to Anthony Fauci just today. Um, going, or actually, no, it was yesterday. Going on his little, his little uh, conference, the COVID conference, and he's talking about needing more boosters. Hi there. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Fauci, can you talk a little bit more about what you think the data show now on the need for shot beyond a third dose, beyond booster, as you know, boosters are being given as early as five months. We are approaching five months uh, now for some of the first folks who got it. What do we know about how often or if further shots will be needed going forward, and in particular, whether we might need specific types of shots for any variant? Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you for that question. That's obviously an issue 
that have been followed very closely because, as I've said in answer to questions on previous press conferences, similar questions, is that you follow individuals for a period of time after the third dose and you measure a number of phenomenon. You measure laboratory phenomenon, but you measure the real world data on the efficacy in preventing, for example, hospital visits as well as hospitalizations. And I believe that you're going to be hearing data about that as they data become available, and that should not be within a very long period of time. I think you should be appreciative of the fact that when you're talking about any decisions that will be made, and I'm not anticipating any of that now, but it has to be put into the context of whom you are talking about. For example, there may be the need for yet again another boost, in this case, a fourth dose boost for an individual receiving the mRNA that could be based on age as well as underlying conditions. So I don't think you're going to be hearing, if you do, any kind of recommendations that would be across the board for everyone. It very likely will take into account what subset of people have a diminished or not uh, protection against the important parameters such as hospitalization. All right, so let's break this down and hat tip Kyle Becker for this um, because he put some of this together. But the boosters aren't working, okay? Frequent boosters spur warning on immune response. This is from Bloomberg. So, you know, I mean, they, we can call it fake news until it's reporting things that we know to be true. And then everyone else calls it fake news, I guess, like the left. Um, it's really ridiculous how we play this dosy do you know, in this round and round and round we go. European Union regulators warned that the frequent COVID-19 booster shots could adversely affect the immune response. It may not be feasible. Repeat booster doses every four months could eventually weaken the immune response and tire out people, according to the European Medicines Agency. Instead, countries should leave more time between booster programs and tie them to the onset of the cold season in each hemisphere, following the blueprint set out by influenza vaccination strategies, the agency said. The advice comes as some countries consider the possibility of offering people second booster shots in a bid to further provide protection against surging Omicron infections. Earlier this month, Israel became the first nation to start administering a second booster. <laughs> I mean... Uh, or a fourth shot. Now, let's call it that. Let's stop calling it boosters and and vaccines. They're not vaccines. And just because you took two of them, that doesn't make that one vaccine and then everything else a booster. It's all the same damn shot. So you'd be on your fourth one. The UK has said those boosters are providing good levels of protection and that there's no need for a second booster at the moment. But We'll review as the data evolves. Boosters can be done once or maybe twice, but it's not something we can think of doing repeatedly and constantly. Marco Calaveri of the EMA Head of Biological Health stated. Um, <laughs> he says, we need to think about how we can transition from the current pandemic setting to the more endemic setting. Well, that's happening right now, whether we like it or not, isn't it? <laughs> Omicron's doing that one. And governments are starting to retcon themselves. They're all acting like they've, well, we're all good now. We don't need the mask. We don't need the vaccines. We can go back. Uh, you know, this is February and we've got an election coming up. 
pretty soon. So we got to take the boot off the neck. And we don't want a, an American trucker convoy. We don't need the rubber ducky come rolling down. Breaker, breaker, good buddy. We got ourselves a convoy. Convoy. We got a big old convoy. I don't know if you remember that movie. From Reuters, COVID boosters may risk more serious side effects, the CDC says. <laughs> wow. So the CDC in Yahoo News. U.S. health officials said the U.S. is reviewing the need for a third COVID-19 booster shot among those who have already been vaccinated, but needs to see more data to know if the additional shots could raise people's risk of serious side effects. During a media briefing, Jay Butler, the deputy director at U.S. Centers in Disease Control and Prevention, said there is a concern that a third dose could potentially come with even greater risk. Jay Butler said the risk of some of the rare side effects that have been reported have been greater after the second dose than even just the local reactions, which are fairly common, are more common after the second doses as well. So we're keenly interested in knowing whether or not the third dose may be associated with a higher risk of adverse reactions, particularly some of those even more severe, although rare, very rare side effects. Yeah, they throw that in. Never mind the rising cases in rare disorders like myocarditis, which is the inflammation of the heart. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's really, this whole thing has been really unbelievable to witness. And the medical community just did Harry Carey on itself, just knifing its credibility all to hell um, just because of this. And then you've got another one from Yahoo News. Natural immunity, more potent than vaccines during U.S. Delta wave. And Delta was supposedly the strongest wave. During the America's last surge of the coronavirus driven by the Delta variant, people who went unvaccinated but survived COVID were better protected than those who were vaccinated and not previously infected, a new study said. Oh, wait a minute. I was told the other way around. I was told your natural immunity goes away in 90 days, but you need vaccines, man. You can roll all day, even though you need a fourth, a fifth booster. You're looking like Bradley from Sublime strung out in, the, in one of those new, new constructed safe houses that, the, that New York is going to give you. And maybe we can get one of those uh, Biden crack pipes. You know, we get an Obama phone. We get, an, uh, we get a Biden crack pipe. We go into de Blasio's heroin den and we shoot up on boosters all day long. The authors of the paper warn, however, against depending on the infection as a strategy, given the, the risk, the higher risk to unvaccinated persons who are previously infected of hospitalization, long-term impacts, and death compared to vaccinated people, which that line there is utter BS. But they throw that in as the caveat so that they can justify giving you just the little truth but still maintaining the BS narrative, the garbage narrative that, you know, the vaccines are the almighty, right? That's where we're at with all of this. It, it's truly amazing. And there was a video that came out from uh, Israel that we're going to... I can't play the video because it's all in Hebrew and you're not going to be able to understand it. But the translation is what you're going to want to want to hear. It's pretty amazing. Um, and then we have this from October 2020. All right. So uh, probably six months, six, seven, eight, nine. I don't know. Researchers warned some COVID-19 vaccines could risk HIV infection. Hmm. That's odd, especially given Dr. Fauci's history of being the purveyor of the HIV vaccine, or what he thinks it is. These re uh, the researchers warn 
of a cautionary tale from efforts to create an HIV vaccine over a decade ago, where a promising vaccine candidate actually increased the risk of some men catching the virus. The vaccine made use of a modified virus, an androvirus, um, to transport some of HIV's genetic material into the body. Exactly how the vaccine increased the risk of HIV transmission is unknown, but a conference convened by the New York or the National Institutes of Health recommended against further use of this AD5 as a vector in HIV vaccines. Dr. Anthony Fauci was the lead author of the paper outlining this position. AD5 is used as a vector in some COVID-19 vaccines. Science magazine indicates and identifies four such candidates that are currently undergoing clinical trials in various countries around the world, including the U.S., with two in large-scale Phase three trials ongoing in Russia and Pakistan. Researchers stressed the need to understand the role AD5, which is that antivirus, um, might play in increasing the risk of HIV in vulnerable populations before developing and deploying vaccines using the vector, adding that the informed consent documents should reflect a considerable literature on the risk of HIV acquisition with AD5 vectors. Huh. So you might get H- HIV out of the deal. <laughs> that's that's great. Let's all get let's get the world signed up for that. That's a great idea. That's going to work out swimmingly. We just get the world signed up. You might get part uh parsonage turner syndrome. That that's been something that's been showing up as well. <laughs> but everybody's got to get on board. Pre- you know, President Biden is safe and effective. No it isn't. <laughs> We're learning that all over the place. So there was a video that was going around from Israel, and it was from an Israeli newscast, and there was a doctor that was on there, and this is what he is saying. I'm not going to play the video because the translation is all you need. In this wave, we're seeing infection and illness in vaccinated individuals. We're seeing vaccinated individuals that are sick and arrive at the hospitals in serious condition, and we're seeing death as well. The increase in the number of seriously ill who have been vaccinated is an increase that we have seen over the past few days very significantly. The almost vast majority of the deceased are vaccinated people that seemingly have gone through immunoerosion. Let's take that back. They have seemingly gone through immunoerosion. 83 dead in just the past month. At the same time, in addition to this number that we see on the screen, which you can't see, there is also 15 sick people in serious condition. Let's admit the truth. At the moment, we don't really know. But because, as Dr. Bennett himself said in his opening statement, we don't have anyone to learn from. We're the only country that is vaccinated to such an extent. In the entire world, this is a completely novel challenge And therefore, we must gather just a bit more data and then decide. I today don't see a difference. Really, I don't see a difference between if I, this is somebody who is uh, speaking from the hospital bed, between if I, as someone that has been vaccinated with two doses, got so sick so badly. So what does it matter if you take the vaccines or not? Right. That's the point. And, you know, I found that here in my own household. My wife is the only one who was double jabbed against my 
wishes and recommendations. And of course, she did so because of her, her parents. She wanted to, you know, her parents were deathly afraid of this thing and they've got comorbidities. So she wanted to see if she took it, how she would react to it. And if it was something that she could in good faith say, yeah, go ahead and get, get the jabs guys. Um, I said, you don't want to do it, but we're in this land of misinformation and isolation of truth purveyors that I got looked at as the crazy guy by just trying to give the truth out there because everyone has been gaslit to death by this media campaign. But she got sick. My entire family got sick. She was sick for a week. I was sick for a day and a half, took ivermectin, everything. My kids, they didn't take anything. They were sick for a day, if that. We all tested negative. Whether or not those tests are real, <laughs> who knows? But I think we need to look a little further into everything that's going on, especially with, with how we're trying to disseminate this truth on the vaccines being BS. And now all of a sudden everybody's retconning two years of, of pandemic paranoia saying, well, you know, we can go back to, we can go back to work and we can go back to dropping the mask and, you know, go back to regular life all at the drop of a dime. <laughs> you know, um, the fact that, being able to disseminate that information and have it squashed by the big tech overlords, um, kind of, kind of a big part of this. Like they've been controlling the information. And and most of the time, the information that they've denied is information that not only turns out to be true later, they only denied it just so that they can be an impediment. That's what I I think what it was, was they were, they didn't want people to instantly be able to disseminate the information so they could pretend that it's misinformation, sideline it, and then if an appeal wins, they can put it back up. But at that point, it will already be proven, you know, proven real and proven factual. And, and that's kind of where we are with it. So I thought this thread from Kara Frederick from the Heritage Foundation was pretty interesting um, because she kind of explains a lot of what big tech is doing. She said, today, Heritage Foundation goes on the offense against big tech. Big tech companies have proven themselves irresponsible stewards of the government-enhanced power. A re-collaboration of their relationship to the American people is warranted. A quick explanation of the problem. And she's got the explanation here. Um, She actually was working for Facebook for a time period. And I've got a video that I'm going to play for her where she just drops the mic on it. But she testifies before Congress about holding big tech accountable. Um, She was a research fellow for technology at the Heritage Foundation, a former Facebook employee. And she testified before the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Communications and Technology and how to hold big tech accountable. During her testimony, Frederick called big tech an enemy of the people for its censorship and subsequent gaslighting of the American public. She said, I, too, worked for Facebook. I joined the company after three tours in Afghanistan because I believed in Facebook's mission, the democratization of information. But I was wrong, she said. Big tech companies tell us not to believe our lying eyes that the viewpoint censorship is all in our heads. But she continued to say, tell that to the gold star mom who criticized Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal and then was deleted by Facebook at after the death of her son, a U.S. Marine, tell that to Allie Beth Stuckey, who had um, the temerity to say that biological men should not compete in men's sports before being suspended by Twitter. 
Tell that to Clarence Thomas, whose documentary on Amazon was deleted without explanation. So she's right. Big tech is not only censoring COVID-19 information and misinformation, but they're doing it for everything else. And you can follow my Twitter account to see how I've been shadow banned, regulated right on out. So they've, she's laid out a roadmap to end big tech's influence over our society. She says, if we do not strike at the heart of big tech's toxic practices now, others will continue to follow suit until campaigns against Joe Rogan and Spotify, Airbnb bans and GoFundMe fraud gives way to climate change compliance. ESG and other social credit machinations are requisite for daily life. Airbnb denied Michelle Malkin and her husband a stay just because they didn't like her politics. That's, you know, we did the whole GoFundMe thing to the truckers on the last episode. And then, of course, Joe Rogan and Spotify, you've probably heard about. All of that going on at the same time. And she's laying the gauntlet down. She said, if we do not arrest the infringement of natural rights by these private companies now, the future is a tech-enabled social credit system based off rebellious appeals to safety and harm that will render dissenters from prevailing leftist narratives as second-class citizens. So let me play a clip from her, because you have to hear this. It's pretty amazing. She just drops the drops the hammer on tech. I'm Kara Frederick at the Heritage Foundation. I helped create and lead the counterterrorism analysis team in global security at Facebook headquarters in Menlo Park, California. What I learned from being in the belly of the beast of Silicon Valley is that these companies have so many resources at their fingertips, but they're primarily concerned with three things. Their bottom line, growth at all costs, as well as their brand and reputation. What they're trying to do is protect these three things and all of the decisions that they make flow from these three priorities. Censorship is not just confined to social media. Look at banks with Chase Bank. Look at online fundraising platforms with Kickstarter. Look at email delivery services with MailChimp. All of these services are being withdrawn from people with conservative viewpoints. Put a foot wrong and you might find yourself unable to bank. Put a foot wrong and you're not going to be allowed to have your book advertised on Amazon's platform. Put a foot wrong and the movie that you've supported and made is not going to be able to be supported or even distributed among these services. So it's not just these social media platforms that are targeting conservatives for viewpoint and political suppression. It is an array of digital services that are slowly being withdrawn from individuals and organizations within America and constricting our daily lives that are taking on more and more digital characteristics. Every American, not just conservatives, should be concerned about this because right now they're coming for specific conservative viewpoints, but tomorrow they're going to come for you. They've already got heterodox individuals and organizations in their crosshairs. Whatever doesn't conform to the progressive leftist ideology that's been blessed off by Hollywood, big corporations, the academy, and big government is going to be at risk. Conservatives are on the front lines and taking most of the blows from big tech. But regular Americans are people who just want to have a business on Instagram, people who just want to get their message out on Facebook. They are in the crosshairs of these big tech companies if their views don't conform to what is progressive leftist ideology. So Kara not only comes with receipts, she comes with solutions. 
And she said, number one, companies working hand in glove with the government to police speech. That's what's happening. She cites when uh, Jen Psaki, the spokeswoman for the Biden administration, basically said uh, to Spotify, you know, more can be done and that they need to look into their actions a little further and stop misinformation. A little nudge, nudge there by the administration. Two, the construction of digital life beyond social media. This goes far beyond Trump and Twitter. It's about every American's ability to take part in modern life. This past week's actions by GoFundMe and Airbnb are just scratching the surface. Um, she says, number three, the targeting and exploitation of the next generation of Americans. Big tech is well aware of how their products deliberately attack a younger and younger demographic and tear at the moral fabric of our society. It even says Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teen girls. Number four, the expansion of digital surveillance to target mainstream conservatives thought or mere dissent from the leftist narratives as extremism. These are the things that she's saying are the points that need to be addressed. The answer to big tech's problem exists in solutions that promote human flourishing and arrest the infringement of God-given rights by private entities such as freedom of speech. Governments are not only actors capable of encroaching on Americans' individual liberties, private monopolistic corporations should be held accountable if they violate these liberties to the degree that big tech, um, to the degree that big tech has in the past year and a half alone, at the very least. Our proposal acknowledges this truth and reflects an imperative uh, to protect Americans' natural rights against abuses flowing from the consolidation of power, whether by the government, private corporations, or a combination of the two, which that's what we've been saying here on this program for a long time. Chinese-style capitalism, because it's not capitalism, it's fascism and communism, but it looks like capitalism on the, on the surface. An array of the following recommendations can be deployed simultaneously. Each of these approaches has the potential advantages and drawbacks. None is a panacea. However, this aggregate effect should be far more scrutiny, pressure, and oversight over big tech companies. First, Congress, with relevant federal agencies, should enforce antitrust laws and reform and modernize them where necessary. Scrutinize big tech companies, add tech model, establish executive liability, Reform Section 230. We've been saying that too. Allow American citizens to hold tech companies accountable for their inconsistent application of policies via the judicial system. Require transparency and content moderation practices, algorithmic impacts, and data collection, storage, and sharing. Pass data privacy legislation. Prohibit governments and government actors from using social media platforms as their agents to chill free speech. Impose cost on tech companies for ties to the Communist Chinese Party and other adversary nations. Gosh, that needs to be done so badly right now. Ensure compliance with Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and take measures to prohibit certain joint ventures. And the example she provides is Tim Cook from Apple. Listen to this article. Inside Tim Cook's secret $275 billion deal with Chinese authorities. Interviews and internal Apple documents provided uh, a behind-the-scenes look at how the company made concessions to Beijing and won key legal exemptions. This is all crony 
corporatism has nothing to do with capitalism. They want to frame it as such. There are people out there that are being dismayed by it, and they don't realize what they're living through is not capitalism whatsoever. Hasn't been for a long time. CEO Tim Cook personally lobbied officials over threats that would have hobbled its devices and services. His interventions paired the way or paved the way for Apple's unparalleled success in China. Apple's iPhone recently became the top-selling smartphone in China, its second biggest market after the U.S. And Huawei's over there just stealing the tech, while Tim Cook is making the money. Big tech companies should explore privacy-preserving tech and privacy-by-design initiatives to shore up data privacy, institute additional mechanisms for user control, build with full stack in mind. State legislatures, executives, and attorney generals should continue to fight big tech censorship and practice through state legislative actions to seek accountability, transparency, and fair treatment for all users. And we know Governor DeSantis down there in Florida and his attorney general, they're doing that. American citizens should strengthen grassroots efforts to demand transparency from these companies. Look outside Washington, D.C. for enduring solutions. If we do not uh, confront this tech-enabled stratification now, big tech will continue to erode individual liberties, segment the American citizenry, and stunt human flourishing. And she's right, 100%. And when it comes to COVID, and when it comes to tech censorship, we need to remember the names. We need to remember their actions. We need to remember their lies. We need to remember who they helped, and we need to remember who they hurt. And never forget any of what you lived through. Talk about it often. Everything that we went through over the last two years, everything that big tech has been doing, we need to talk to our, our local community leaders. Your local treasury. I mean, the state treasuries are actually fighting back against some of these, uh, like BlackRock, some of these venture capital uh, organizations who are pushing this ESG environment, social and governance credit scores that they're going to divvy out and determine whether or not you get a loan or whether or not you uh, are uh, engaging in too many toxic uh, activities as judged by them, not by your government, not by your, uh, who you elected to represent you. They're just going to go around and make their own constitution their own ESG score, like China's social credit score. And, in, and we'll live a, the tech black mirror if we don't stand up to it. Just a big tech black mirror episode. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker. Tune in. Donate to the show, anchor.fm slash support slash or slash Adrian Slade slash support. I will keep you informed. If I have any kind of weird, quirky things happening with Anchor, I may pull my podcast from Anchor and go back to spot, uh, SoundCloud where I have a safe haven there um, and you know I'll keep you updated if there's anything coming down the line we'll see you guys next time